0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and look at your Word and to study it. We ask you to be with those who are sick right now and and unable to be here today. We ask that you give us your guidance and your leading in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Revelation 19. This is about the return of Christ, His second coming, and uh, we had previous to this the fall of Babylon and the the fall of the basically capitalist system, the fall of Babylon, where everything was working out of at that time. So we're going to be looking now at chapter 19. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornications and has Avenged the blood of his saints at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, her smoke, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the twenty four elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat upon the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as a voice of a mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the, of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints." So we're going to stop there for take a look at all this stuff going on. So after Babylon has been judged and fallen, and uh, we see this. So John is saying he heard a voice of much people in heaven. So we've transitioned from what happened on the earth to what's going on in heaven, and their their praise was hallelujah salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. And this is praise in heaven because judgment is coming, and we've seen this all frequently before, where they're saying, "How long, God, are you going to wait? Uh, when's this going to happen?" And now we're starting to see the end. Chapter 19 is all about the sense. return of Christ. So it says, "Alleluia." Allelu- alleluia means praise to the Lord. Mm-hmm. So if you're, when we sing Alleluia in some of our songs, it's just a quick word that says praise to the, praise to the Lord. And so they're singing praise to the Lord, salvation. And salvation is, you know, one of the things I found is about salvation. We, it's deliverance, it's rescue. But one of the authors that I read in a, in a book said, it's the sum of the benefits and blessings which are Christians redeemed from all earthly ills. <laughs> and that's really what salvation is for us. It's not just that we're rescued from sin, which we are. But it really is this whole idea that we are given a place of honor. We have benefits because of salvation. A.W. Pink, he's a, a theologian, says that salvation is fourfold. We're saved from the penalty, the power, the presence, and the pleasure of sin. And for us as Christians, that last one is probably the most important thing, that we're saved from the, whatever enjoyment we may have had in sin in the past. If you've you've ever experienced this, you try to go back to something that you may have enjoyed in the past, and all of a sudden there's just no pleasure in it. It doesn't seem to fulfill because it's not there because we belong to Christ. There are sins that we can still have pleasure, but when God clears them out of us, He takes the pleasure away. And this is what uh, A.W. Pink said. And so he says that God is our salvation, and it says glory. Glory the splendor the magnificence of God and this is when we praise God part of our praise is to tell him how great he is how how powerful we see him and how splendid he is how bright he is in that and then it says and honor honor is to praise somebody to to give them to give them praise the one of the definitions I love in the Greek part of honor is, it's the value that is placed on a thing. And, it's, and you think about this, value is not placed on necessarily by the thing itself. Uh, if I pick up this book, and, you know, this book may have, have value, it has some value because we bought it at a price. But somebody might find something in it and say, to them, this book, all of a sudden, they find something in it that it, to them is very valuable, And then all of a sudden this book has a greater price. Not because it's worth more, but they place higher value. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so God has placed a value on us. And a lot of times we don't consider ourselves as valuable (laughs) as God considers us. And God's value on us was so great that he sent his son to die for us. He placed a great value on us. And our value on God should be very high because of all He's done for us. And then it says, and power unto the Lord our God. Our praise, our praise should include the fact that He saved us, that He is glor- glorious, that, that we honor Him. We put a great price, price on God. And this, this thing for us will tell us exactly how high a price do we put on God. Everybody's going to have a different price compared to how important He is to them. And it said, you know, Jesus said to the, dis, to the disciples, uh, actually the Pharisees, those, those who are forgiven much, love much. And so one part about this is when people are been rescued from great sin, they tend to love God more than those who may, may have grown up with Him all their life and kind of take Him for granted. And so we see this. Yeah, that would not be good. But it is good to question things about God and make sure you understand them. Right. So I don't know what they were saying on that. I, you know, but you don't want to question his authority. That's definitely not what you want to do. Right. But I have taught people all the time that I would rather them ask questions in church than ask the world the questions because I want you to get the right answers. I don't want you to get whatever the world right. you know, believes and thinks. And I taught my Sunday school teachers over the years the same thing. We want our kids, we want our adults to be able to ask any question in the church. Because I've seen people, when people go, well, how do you know there's a God? All of a sudden they gasp, and how can you ask that question? Well, that's a, yeah. that's a legitimate question. How do we know there's a God? There's answers to that. How do we know that He's powerful? There's answers to that. How do we know that this is His Word? There's answers to that. And if they can't ask those questions in a church, where are they going to be able to ans- ask them and get the right answers? Because if you ask the world you're not going to get a biblical answer. You're going to get some crazy answer, number Hopefully one, I that he's had not had. God. Or. Oh. Most people don't know how to answer it because they've been encouraged not to ask those kind of questions in a church. And because they've never, they've been encouraged not to ask those questions, they've never worked on getting, a, getting the answers. But. Be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason for what you believe. In First 1 Peter and it's very important, we need to be able for to answer. Why? It is important for us to understand what we believe and why we believe it so that we can give answers because it is critical. Christianity is never afraid of questions because God is not afraid of questions. He's a logical God, he's organized, he, he has solid things that he does and why he does them. And if we're sitting there saying we're afraid of the questions, that's not good. If you go to a Christian, good Christian school, you know, like I did for high school, they don't they don't totally ignore evolution. They just teach evolution from a Christian point of view and why it is wrong, because they'll teach creationism, which fits the scientific evidence. And this is one thing we have to look at. Uh, we're not afraid of looking up the reasons for things because god is reasonable science a lot of people will tell you that science and the bible are contradictory there's no contradiction between the bible and science matter of fact when you take a biblical perspective the science makes a lot more sense trying to disprove the bible Uh, so we want to just take that in there and because it's very critical for us to, to look at that. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore that, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and, he, and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. So here we are, they're continuing their worship, he says, for true and righteous are his judgments god is always true and right with his judgments he is going to be correct he is going to be be good and his judgments judgment is this idea of separating and from a from a point of view of a judge sitting on a bench their their goal is to separate truth from from uh, lies or correct statements from false statements god is going to be good he separates everything that way and our we are called to we are told to judge according to God's standards. Now everybody will quote uh, uh, Matthew 7.1, judge not. Okay? They leave out the second half of the <laughs> verse. Judge not lest you be judged by what measure you judge, you shall be judged. And that verse is not so much as a, a statement of don't judge people, but judge by the right standards and the standards you want to be judged by, which should be God's word because we are to call sin a sin. If somebody's sinning, we'll let, we, we will call it a sin. We're not judging it, saying it's bad, but we're calling it what God calls it. And the world is trying very hard to not get sins judged. And Satan is working on getting almost every sin classified as a sickness. He's trying to get everybody to say, well, there's no right and wrong, it's just whatever you think about it. Now between those two lies of his, you can do anything you want. And we see this happening because how many times have people used as a defense bad behavior? Well, I've got such and such sickness. You know, I steal because I'm a kleptomaniac. I, I drink because I'm an alcoholic. I Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't sit still and pay attention because I'm hyperactive attention deficit. Okay. All these reasons not to behave the way God says you're to behave. Now, are they actual, probably medical conditions? Well, maybe if you've done them long enough, they do become a medical condition. But you start out with it, you know, with a problem of saying, I'm just not going to listen to God's word and, and excuse everything. And I see this, you know, we see this in the school system really bad. Most of your kids can't sit still because they're hyperactive attention deficit. Well, that's a bunch of baloney because my son was classified that and we just said you are going to sit down you are going to learn to control yourself is it more difficult for him to control himself absolutely we gave him a little more leeway than we gave the other three kids who didn't have the same diagnosis that he did but he was also going to learn there's times to sit down and be quiet and pay attention and you're going to learn to be able to sit down for a period of time and there's times to run around like a chicken with your head cut off and enjoy enjoy things so all these things Satan is trying to give them reasons to say well it's just a sickness they can't they can't control themselves and we're seeing this with all, all kinds of sins if you look at the psychological list of diseases everything that God says is a sin is now a psychological a illness know, you're not a thief you're a kleptomaniac you're, you're you're not committing adultery and fornication you're addicted to sex you know it's all these things that they have on this long list of <laughs> diseases that God says is a sin they're trying to classify as, as a disease. Why are they trying to classify it as a disease? Because if it's a disease, you can't be held accountable for it. God can't hold you accountable for these sins if they're diseases. That would be like saying you're, you committed a sin because you got the flu. But God
1: knows all things.
0: But God, know, but yeah. God knows that yeah. it's a sin. But from our perspective as humans, Satan is trying hard and, he, and the world system is trying hard to redefine these things. <laughs> to try to say, well, they're not, they're not sin. Even though God calls them a sin, they're not sin. Well, I'm gonna go with God yeah. <laughs> and say that they're sin. And if people don't like it, that's not my problem.
2: Right. Adultery is
0: adultery. Adultery is adultery and it's not, you know, you can't say that you're just addicted to sex and yeah. you know, I just can't help myself.
1: Or, or, or my partner don't please
0: me. Whatever, it doesn't matter what the reasons are. So here we are and it says, God, your, righteous, your judgments are true and then it says, you've judged the great whore that did corrupt the earth with her fornications. And again, remember we talked about Babylon and the, and the whore two weeks ago, how this represents all of false religion. It goes back all the way back to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel in Genesis. Okay, And all of that false religion has been moving from that point forward and has infected everything. Matter of fact, it's infected a lot of Christian churches that are doing things that are not biblical because they're part of that same fornication system that this has brought in that's given against God. And remember, all through the Old Testament, God told Israel, you have committed adultery against me (laughs) because he was supposed to be their God and they kept going after idols. So as far as he was concerned, they'd committed adultery to, toward Him, and we see it in even amongst Christians who will do things that are very much against God and, and basically worship the world, and we need to con- confess and come back to Him and change our mind. But this satanic system of false religion and 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 religions against God have corrupted the world, and have corrupted the church.
1: What religions are against God?
0: Almost A lot. everything.
1: I mean, like Protestant:
0: You're Even Catholic. some denominations in Protestantism are against God. Really. Especially in today's area where they're willing to accept homosexual homosexuality and, right. and all the different sins that God calls sin. There are many de- Protestant denominations that are setting themselves against God and probably not teaching true salvation. Right. There's a lot of mega-churches that don't teach true salvation large churches. Yeah. I'm not saying all of them are some are good, some are bad it's just like some small churches are good some <laughs> well, small churches are bad you know, I so. believe
2: in like anything that they don't believe in the Bible then they're not a, a true Christian because I believe now whatever in the Bible I believe like you're saying the gay marriage, I don't believe any of that because it's man and woman anything that they're saying well everybody else does it, no well if it's not in the Bible then I don't believe in it and that is a sin yeah.
0: And that, and that is <laughs> probably true if they're willing to say any part of the Bible is not true they're going to have a hard time proving to me yeah. that they are a Christian Christ. church right. even if they may have the name Christian on their church well, they may that's have like uh, when you
2: say they believe in gay marriages that is not a Christian church I'm sorry
0: well any, any, anything not just that one topic there's all kinds of topics I'm just saying topics that
2: one topic I've just gone by the one right
0: but now. and then beyond that just every other religion is not talking about the same God
2: like, thank you, God, that you do not believe in
0: it, that I would not be here. <laughs> well, I want to teach the whole counsel yes. of God. And then they said, you have avenged the blood of your servants at her hand. And this goes way back to the beginning with the souls that are under the altar. And they're going, how long, oh God, must we wait? And he said, just a little longer before he judges the system. Those were the, the martyred saints that had died at the hand of false religion. And then after all this, again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose forever and ever, or for a long time. Babylon is going to be a picture during this time of of what's been destroyed. Verse 24 says, And the twenty-four elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God and sat on the throne, and they said, Amen and Alleluia. A lot of praise going on up there right now at at this point in time. And the twenty-four elders and the four beasts go all the way back to chapter 4 when we first saw them. And they're saying Amen and Alleluia. Who remembers what Amen means? We've talked about that before. said, huh? Uh, let it be as you said, or let it be. Let it be. Verily, verily, it is true. Any of those type of things. Amen is actually a very interesting word too, because it keeps getting translated. Amen in every other, in, every, in just about every language. Amen means the same thing. It's one of the universal words. So is Alleluia. Hallelujah is the same in, in most languages. So I don't know about all, but I know Amen. Every that's one thing they comment. It's it's in virtually every language.
1: The last word of the most English Bibles is Amen.
0: Yeah. Let it be so. And we end our prayers when we end our prayers with Amen, we're ba- we're basically saying, let it be as we've prayed, let it be so. Let it let it become, you know, come into existence or or be true. So be careful what you pray for. Especially if you're going to put amen at the end of it. Oh, I always do amen. <laughs> it's a traditional for us to put an amen. And most people think it just is what you automatically say at the end of the prayer. But it is literally let it be true or let it be so.
2: I always think like so. amen, but amen is like a caboose that happens at the
1: end. <laughs> <laughs> I've also learned that we should pray in the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Either... In the beginning in the name of Jesus I pray. At the end, in the name of Jesus I pray. I pray well we've talked about
0: Jesus, we've talked about Christ. that. Yeah, that's Christ. exactly what it.
2: What is it? I I pray in the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ.
0: Mm-hmm. When we pray in the name of Jesus, it isn't just saying his name, it is to say Jesus a prayer Christ. that is within his authority, within his his will. Okay, it's not just it's not again, it's not magic words that you know in the name of Jesus Christ I
2: Right. Well, you know, then, or I go like, in the Lord. I Not can't I pray to God, my Father,
0: the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, because the name is everything about His yeah. reputation. So when we're praying in His name, we really don't have to say in the name of Jesus. But if our prayer is in the authority and the scope, there's power in of the name of, Jesus. of His.
2: I always
0: say the name no matter what. Almost everybody does, but again we've talked about what does yes. name mean. Name is all the reputation that is out there. He is, and so he's the highest. If we if we were to say in the name of Jesus but everything we prayed was outside of what his will will would be, then we're really not praying in his name in his name, even though we threw his name in there. Uh and if we didn't throw his name in but we talked about everything that his character and and honor represents then we've still prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just want to clarify that because you haven't heard our lessons on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say don't put his name in there, but just remember that his name is much more than just those well, in the name of Jesus.
2: Hey, it always goes towards him, so that's why I always do it. Yeah. It's always for forgiveness or help or guidance. You know. Okay, mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. hey, verse 5 says, And a voice came out, of the throne saying praise our God all you his servants and you that fear him both great and small so this is a voice coming out of the throne which is probably Jesus's voice because it's referring to the the Father could be the Holy Spirit you know uh, because it's saying praise our God all you servants and it's from the throne and so it's got to be one of the three of the Father Son or the Holy Spirit that's coming from the throne and because it's referring praise our God, I think it's probably Jesus. But it could be the Holy Spirit because that's his job to get us to praise praise God. And then it says, And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunder, saying, Alleluia, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And I love this, the voice of a great multitude. If we've ever heard, heard a great multitude's cheer going on, uh, we can hear, you know, anytime there's a riot, there's a loud voice. There's, if you're at a game, you know, big, especially football or soccer, where the big stadiums are, and we've talked about that in, in Nehemiah, how you can hear those cheers sometimes for miles. Right. When I was in Baltimore, we lived uh, about five, six miles from the nearest college stadium and a little further from the Memorial Stadium back when they had Memorial Stadium. And you could hear those cheers going on from those stadiums at my house five, six miles away, and I don't know how much further Hi. you could hear the, those things. When multitudes join together in the same sound, it really raises up a great cry that you can hear. And think about this. In heaven, millions <laughs> of voices praising God at the same time how far that would carry if it was here on Earth would be amazing. Especially if you could find any place where you could put a million people at one time. But the voice carrying of a, all those people cheering or singing or praising or you know, being carried on. And it says, like the voice of many waters. If you've ever been by the ocean during a storm and you hear those waves crashing on the, on the beach especially if it's up further like in the northwest where they're crashing on the rocks <coughs> and the noise that that makes and, the, and sometimes somewhat beautiful noise to, to a degree as long as you're not on the beach where they're breaking uh, or if you've ever been to like niagara falls you can hear the niagara falls a long ways <laughs> away from the falls okay and this is the kind of noise it's talking about, or the mighty thunder if you've ever been under, right under a storm or up on a mountain in the middle of a storm, uh, that is noise and all of this saying, "Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. All-powerful, omnipotent. What's
2: omnipotent?
0: All-powerful, omni omnipotent power. All-powerful. And, and they're singing, you, know, you are all-powerful and you reign. And you know, we sometimes forget how powerful God is when we're down here in this world. <laughs> Somehow, sometimes we forget that He is the one who's in control. There's nothing that happens that He doesn't know about. Nothing that happens is not given at His permission. And Job is a great example of that. Job could not be touched. Satan had to go ask for permission. And so Satan can't do anything to us as Christians <laughs> that God doesn't give him approval to do. And just like we talked about, Uh, I think it was Sunday when I talked about it. God is going to test us. Not because He needs to know what our answer is, but we need to know. Because how many times do we think we believe something and then we do something that is so contrary to what we say we believe, because we don't truly believe it. God wants to test us and say, Do you truly believe? Are you going to walk in what you believe when the times get tough?
1: Are you going to follow me?
0: Yeah. Are you going to be obedient? You say you believe this. Are you going to continue to believe it even if things get hard? Because God wants us to know whether we truly believe it or not, and it's important for us to know because we don't know how to fix something if we don't know it's broken. Uh, and I've seen this happen many times where some something's been broken and somebody goes, "Well, I want to show you this," and inevitably it would work. <laughs> you know, when I was in the restaurants, it always would happen. Somebody's go, "This is broken." I go. I believe that it's broken, but I, but I have to see what's going on. Or you take a car to a mechanic and you go, "This isn't working," and they drive it around a little bit. They run it, they oh, test no. it, and they can't find it. And they give it back to you, and the next day it's broken again. You know, and That's
1: cost you. That's so
0: well, it's not just that. It's just It's frustrating when you're trying to show somebody a problem and it doesn't stay in existence. And yet God's saying, "I want to make sure that you know." that things in your life are broken that you think are working. And so he'll put us in situations to test us. And the greatest example I talked about Sunday is, you know, if he's trying to teach you about love, he's going to put somebody who's very hard to love in your life. And we've all been there where we've come across people that are hard to love. Maybe we are somebody that's hard to love sometimes, you know. But God will put that into our life to say, are you going to do it? And it's just anything else, Any, anything you're taught in the scriptures, He's going to test to say, are you going to stay faithful to what I have said? And here it's saying, you're omnipotent, He's all powerful. And a lot of times people will not believe that God's powerful because they think that He's not. You know, if you talk to the world, to go, well, if God was so powerful, why can't He get rid of sin? Well, God could get rid of sin if that's what they wanted, but they don't want Him to get rid of sin anyway. Because it would be their sin also that would have to be limited. God could take away and get rid of all sin today if He wanted. He could just take away our free will and make us robots to do exactly what He told us to do.
1: Well, most people also give credit to whatever it may be—the mechanic, um, the doctor, the nurse—and yes, like like a doctor and a nurse and a mechanic can get credit, but the credit originally goes to goes Jesus to God because He put it. Put the power within those people—the doctor, nurse, the mechanic, whatever the ones that have the to talent to fix.
0: Yep. So it
2: isn't them yeah. who did it; it's still God. God, God gave God the tender. gave them the yeah. abilities. It's yep. like I always thank—I mm-hmm. always thank God about the talent that I have that He gave me, and so yep. it's not me doing it; it's God that gave me the talent, you know, right. on certain things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Verse 7 continues, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So we look at this, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. So they're continuing their praise, and then they're going for the marriage of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus, is come and his wife has made herself ready. His bride is the church. And the church has been sanctified. And, you know, it says the wife has made herself ready, but it really isn't the wife that made herself ready in this picture, it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who has prepared the, the bride and the wife by sanctifying them, by giving them. And to her is granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And what is our righteousness? Rag. Filthy rags. No, in this case it's not. What is the church's righteousness? Oh, the church. it. It's the righteousness of Christ. Oh. Remember, we're clothed in Christ. Okay. Oh, okay, that's the only garment that is going to make us approved of God. Is we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He makes us a new creation. He clothes us in His righteousness. And when God looks at us, and we've said this over and over, when God looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't even see us. He sees the righteousness that Jesus paid for us. And this is the value. It's, we are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are clothed in Christ. Everything about us is Christ. When, we're, when our works are thrown into the Bema Seat fire, then they're burnt up. Only what Christ has done through us will last and we'll get rewarded for what we have let Him do. And my statement that I always say, I love God's plan. He does the work and He gives us the rewards. <laughs> okay? And that's what will stand the, fire, the test of fire. I may be able to do a good thing once in a while in my own flesh but it's still gonna burn up because God's not gonna let our flesh stand before him even if it did good okay and some people might be blessed you know if I did a great job preaching one day but it was all in my own flesh people got rewarded they took it from God I don't get rewarded because it was from the flesh but when he speaks through me it's a different story
1: I think the two best stories that, that illustrate God's strength is when. Uh, what are the three guys? Shadrach, Meshach, oh, and yeah. Abednego. Oh in the fire. In the fire, and not even a hair was singed. And then mm-hmm. when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, Lion. yeah.
2: the Lord shut his his so mouth. Of the tooth. it out. That's so cool. They like too. Yep.
0: <laughs> now the Greek word for righteousness here in verse eight literally means something that's deemed right with the force of legal action. Okay. Let me explain that. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be declared from the courts of heaven perfect because of his righteousness.
1: Okay, so, so the courts of heaven
0: are, has accepted are, it.
1: Are above the courts oh.
0: of man. Oh, yeah. That's the ultimate Supreme Court. That's the ultimate Supreme Court. But, yeah, I but mean, because Jesus man, but. died, the Father's righteousness and holiness was fulfilled. Was satisfied he could not have let us into heaven without the payment having been made mm-hmm. because it needed to be made and when people go well God is just good he'll let anybody <coughs> into heaven because he loves them well that is not a righteous holy standard and that would be the same thing and I love this it comes from um, yeah the guy Bill glasses anyway oh the,
2: oh yeah I know about.
0: anyway there's a evangelism, of course, and his his, the way they say to to talk to somebody who wants to believe that is, let's say the person you love the most got killed by somebody and the police arrested him and took him to court and he went to the judge and he said, Judge, I've been a good person. I only made this one crime, you know, and if the judge was to let them go, would that be a good judge or a bad judge? The person is guilty and they've admitted they're guilty and you go, you'd be a bad judge and they, they say the same thing. God would be a bad judge if he didn't punish somebody who was guilty and admitted their guilt. So he had to have the punishment for us covered and the way he did that was through Jesus. And then Jesus died for us and then he takes Jesus's righteousness puts it in on us as a covering and covers us and so God can accept us. As a very powerful truth. We can't do anything to please God we can't stand in our own righteousness before God. It has to be the righteousness of Christ that he sees. Will everybody be clothed in the righteousness of Christ because Jesus paid for their debt? No, because you have to accept that gift. Because he's going to be somebody who's going to allow you to make your choice of heaven or hell.
1: Right. Well, the world believes, because that's what the Bible says, believe in my name and you'll be saved. Well, as I'm going through this the last four years, I'm telling you, there's a lot more than just believing in His name. I
0: but that's how you get to heaven.
1: It's your dress, it's your talk, it's your walk, it's...
0: Uh, All of that will be poured out of us because Christ is in us and God is living in us and we will change the way we live and be a good testimony. Mm-hmm. And But because it's really true, Is what does believe mean? Most of them think, well, well I believe there was a man named Jesus. Well, that's not saving, that's not saving belief. Right. You know, I believe that He died, maybe, you know. Uh, but we've got to truly believe, you know, and we've talked about this often, there's th- three things we have to believe. Number one, that we are sinners. That's not too hard for most people to believe. That one's the easiest one to believe.
1: Some people oh, are Yeah. I, you know, I, I, yeah.
0: Read... I mean, there are still people out there that don't really believe that their sins are all that bad, necessarily, but that takes you actually more to the second step, yeah. that we deserve punishment.
1: I just recently said, well, in God's eyes, I am a disobedient child. Mm-hmm. And I was, it was said to me, well, what do you mean? How? how are I, you're not a disobedient child. I said, yes, I am. Yeah. I still smoke. I still drink what I eat, Coke. I still, you know. <laughs> and, well, that doesn't mean you're, you're disobedient. I said, yes, it does.
0: Well, God's told you not to. That's disobedience but we all but that's just it we're all sinners we all deserve punishment and those two that second one is the hardest one for most people to accept because they'll usually go well I'm not as bad as the majority of the people or there's a lot of people that are worse than me Well, the thing is God doesn't judge on a curve A sin is sin, a sin, is sin and you just des- and a sin deserves punishment that second step is the hardest one for most people to truly believe then because the punishment is permanent punishment in hell. And because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That second one is the hardest one for people to believe. And then the third one is, once you believe that second one, the third one is pretty easy. Jesus paid for it so that I could go to heaven.
1: Okay, so name the three again.
0: We are a sinner. (coughs) Sin deserves punishment. The verses that go with him, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God commended His love toward us, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us.
1: Right. So, in a way, in your terms, in a way that I can understand, what it, say one, one, two, three?
0: Sin. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. You deserve to be I, I sent to hell. You deserve, deserve punishment.
1: I deserve punishment. And
0: Jesus paid for the paid for that sin.
1: Okay. And Jesus paid for
0: me. And then the last step is is uh, we accept that gift.
1: So, how do I answer if I was to say that to somebody and they say, you know, I say I'm a sinner. And what was
0: the second one? I deserve punishment I, I'm and, or deserve sinner. hell. I
1: deserve I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner and I deserve, I deserve punishment. punishment. And Jesus, and and Jesus, Jesus, paid, for Jesus the, paid, paid for it. Jesus paid for that. And someone would say to me, Okay, well, if you sinned and Jesus paid for that, why do you need, do you need punishment then too?
0: Because you have to accept that gift. You have to accept that gift. And Otherwise, well, you're going to be punished. I have to but what you're being punished for is not for your sin. It's for rejecting Jesus Christ.
1: Right. So I ha- you're saying I have to accept that gift. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm confused. What is the gift that I am to accept? I, I, the I, payment that
0: Jesus made of it.
1: I am to accept my uh, my punishment with...
0: Accept the punishment, that the gift of the salvation that Jesus paid the price for. He
2: died for our sins
0: so the key to, the key that you want to get to understand on this is that nobody's going to to hell because they're a sinner they're going to hell because they rejected jesus christ right. they are a sinner but they've rejected jesus christ we are going to heaven not because we did anything to deserve it but because we've accepted the gift of jesus christ and we will enter heaven and this is important for us to understand <laughs> Jesus said that there's one unforgivable sin, and he said it was the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit's job is to bring us to Christ, the acceptance of Christ. So when we blaspheme, we're saying, well, we're not, we don't care what you're trying to lead us to. We're going to reject Christ. And then people will be sent to hell. Now, will they receive punishment in hell for their sins because they've rejected it and haven't allowed it to be covered? Yes, because they'll, that's what ultimately sends you there, but it's really the rejection of Christ.
1: Mm-hmm. So, when, so when Jesus says the chosen people, and the Jews think that they are the chosen people, it's really not the Jews that are the chosen people, it's the chosen people who have overcome and believe.
0: That have believed. And the Jews had the first opportunity to accept accept all of because even they are saved all of theirs pointed toward Jesus in the in the future and and we've been going through that in our Wednesday classes on how all the sacrifices and everything points to Jesus the tabernacle points to Jesus and you know it's everything points to Jesus and so they have to understand it's not what I've done in their case it wasn't what they did it was what the sacrifice symbolized which was Jesus so again It's not what I have done because all I'm doing is obeying God and doing what He has told me to do. But all of it boils down to the acceptance of Jesus Christ. And then we get rewarded by letting Him work through us and, and we're going to see the rewards in heaven. And who knows what it means to be rewarded in heaven, but I want to get as many of them as I possibly can because I don't want to be the one that, you know, doing nothing or barely gets in. But you probably want more than, because wherever you're at, you're at in heaven all is all eternal. A, to, to be at the can't. very bottom of the barrel, you know, yes, you're in heaven, it's better than the, the alternative, which is to be in hell. I mean, very I'm very clear that there fake. is. Jesus said, take from him who, had, who buried his talent and give to him who had 10, and talks about the ruling yeah. in heaven. There are definitely ranks in heaven. Now what it means and, and all of that, we have no idea because we are, be and that probably right. will mean part, part yeah. of being in rank will probably be closer to him. Uh, and but you've also got to consider. It all depends on what you're given anyway. And if you, if somebody uses 100% of what they have to serve God, they're going to be better than somebody who did a lot more but only used yeah. maybe 25% of the talents God gave them. And this is something I tell people: you know, be careful what you wish for because you know you might say, oh, well, I wish I was doing as much as this other person. Well, they may only be using. A very small amount of what God gave him in talents, and God's going to say, "Hey, you know, you didn't live up to your potential." And come over to this person who looked like they were doing nothing, and said, "You used 100 percent of your talents, and I'm going to promote you much higher than this person who looked like they were doing a lot of things." All of us have had some some portion of that that we need I mean, to. All right, verse nine, and he said unto me, "Write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb." And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And we've talked about this, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to look, not going to have much time, we're going to look at this. In the Hebrew celebration of a marriage, you would have what was called the engagement, where you were promised in marriage. And, And for them, that promise was was. Much more than what we call the the engagement period, you know, where you where you were asked to get married and and you said yes, and then you have your engagement period. During this, you really had a small ceremony up there, and you were considered married, but you could not consummate the marriage. There were a lot of things that had to happen between the the time the time you said yes and the time that the marriage actually happened, but. You were still considered married. You think about you Mary and Joseph, you were betrothed, but it was much deeper than what we count that, you know count that as. Uh, Mary and Joseph were betrothed as, we, as in there, of uh, Jesus' earthly parents. but they were not allowed to sleep. During that period of time, the man was to go out. He was to build a room or a house for his wife and him to live in and his family. He was to get his business started. And this usually took about a year, okay. And he had about a year to do all of this. He, they're they're married. They're considered they're considered husband and wife, even though they're not well, completely. Engagement. The only way they could cancel it was with the divorce proceedings.
1: An engagement should be a year because the couple should spend um, should go through all four seasons.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. So. And then at the end of this engagement period, the end of this one year period, the husband and his entourage would go to the uh, fiance's wife's house and she would still be living with her father and mother at that time. And basically he would kidnap her from the house and take her back to his place and they'd have a party. That party in Hebrew uh, marriages lasted for Seven days. At the end of that party, then they would go in and consummate their, their marriage and they would come out as truly husband and wife and, and finish this. Jesus has come, he bought us. <laughs> and oh, at the beginning of there, the dowries would be paid and everything at the very beginning of this. Jesus came, he, pay, he bought us, he paid the dowry and, for his bride, and we've committed ourselves to him. And there's been a long wait for the marriage, the marriage <laughs> ceremony. The marriage ceremony will be in heaven, and this is why I've and I've told you this is part of the reason I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because it gives us seven years, equal, matching up against seven days Which, of a feast. Pre, how a pre-tribulation rapture. That is where the church is taken out before the seven-year rapture, uh, tribulation time comes. And so then I believe in heaven. We're having our big pre-marriage. <laughs> the church is having the big pre-marriage celebration for seven years in this case instead of seven days. Uh, and then at the end, he comes back. <laughs> and this is where we're getting ready to get into it the, the second half of this chapter, the return of Jesus. The, the thing the Jews are waiting right now for is the return of the Messiah to create, a, create it. So the marriage supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus espoused to the church, has waited all this time. And what did he tell the disciples he was doing? I go to prepare a place for you. Same thing the husband was supposed to do in a Jewish marriage. He was to go prepare a place for his wife, for his wife, for, for them to live for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. In our case, for eternity. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. And he's going to prepare rooms and mansions all, you know, for his bride. And then he'll snatch us away at the rapture, into heaven. We'll have our celebration with him. And then we'll come back, and we'll talk more about this next week because we're all at the end of this, but he's going to come back to this earth to reign for a thousand years <laughs> on this earth which is what the Jews are waiting for. The Jews are waiting for their Messiah. And why did they not accept Jesus as their Messiah when He first came? Because He didn't start a kingdom, which is what they were expecting. They forgot all about all the verses that talked about the Messiah suffering and and purchasing and and dying. They just didn't, they they wanted to be released from Rome. So when He came, they go, He didn't start a kingdom. The disciples had trouble believing in Jesus because every time he talked about, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, all they're thinking of, uh, I don't know what you're talking about because we're here, we're here to be your right-hand man. You know, when you start your kingdom, we're here to be the, the dukes and the princes and whatever other titles you want to give us, but we're ready to be your right-hand men as you start your kingdom. You know, we're ready to throw Rome out of here and be, and be right-hand men. And that's what they were thinking. Believe me, if you re- look at it real careful when they answer things, they're thinking, kingdom's coming. The kingdom's coming. We're going, to be, we're going to be important in this kingdom because we're right here with him as he's starting it. And the Jews are still waiting for that. Messiah to come. The Messiah that will rule. And we're going to see, as we get to this last few chapters, Jesus is setting up a kingdom where he is going to rule. And where is he going to rule from? He's going to rule from Jerusalem. And every eye will be on Jerusalem. <laughs> Well, not the new. This will be the same. The new one comes after the millennial kingdom. At the very end, when the new heaven and earth are started, then we'll have the new Jerusalem. He'll be at the current Jerusalem, and he'll make it the center of everything. And all worship will go to him for a thousand years. And then we see Satan released for one last hurrah to try to draw people away from God which will blow people's minds that you could live in a perfect environment and still sin just as it was in the very beginning with Adam and Eve the perfect environment and they sinned at the end of the thousand years Satan will be released to try to draw people who want to sin out and God purifies everything and then destroys the old God, and puts I'm in the new be there when
2: that
0: we'll be there but we will have our glorified yeah, bodies we won't We there. won't sin yeah
2: we won't be down
0: here well we'll be ruling with him
2: yeah I mean, Matter of fact, we could,
0: like, in this verse in this chapter. You're gonna uh, we okay. we'll see next week. We're gonna ride back with him on white horses. So if you don't know how to ride horses, go learn how to ride a horse. <laughs> oh, <I know.
1: laughs> yeah. The difference is riding a horse on land and riding a horse in the air. In the air, yes, uh, quite quite
0: different, probably. So
1: go so get on your carousel. <laughs> that that might
0: frame it. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to look at future events that we know will happen because you said they will happen and you fulfilled all the prophecies in the past so far in, in the past and that we know we can count on and know that you're going to fulfill these in the future. And we just thank you and ask you to go with us as we go about our, our activities this week in your son's name. Amen.